Welcome back to Locked on Women's Basketball. You are listening to episode eight of our WNBA retrospective series, a historical look at the greatest draft prospects in league history. Today, we'll discuss Diana Taurasi, the all-time leading scorer in WNBA history, and up to this point, the greatest shooting prospect to enter the W in league history. Locked on Women's Basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win! You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball. Welcome. You are Locked On to Women's Basketball. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube, where if you watch most episodes of this series, you'll get to see highlights and representative clips of the players we're talking about from both their college and pro days. That's because my name is M. Adler and I'm your Saturday co-host, filling in for Hunter Cruz now that our boy is all grown up and off to college and has new adult-like responsibilities sometimes. I cover the WNBA and college ball out of the greater New York market, focusing on player development and trends within the game. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Lincoln Schaefer, the biomechanics boy himself, an indispensable part of our scouting team who can be found <clears throat> on Twitter at Dovienya underscore, that's D-O-V-I-E-N-Y-A underscore. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA or enter the promo code locked on NBA at checkout for a free white tech hat with any purchase. You don't want to take your bird dogs off. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. So as previously mentioned, the subject of today's conversation is UConn's Diana Taurasi. Last week, we covered her teammate, Sue Bird, probably the greatest point guard prospect in W history. But now we take a look at her two-year younger teammate, Diana Taurasi. She came to UConn, flashing back to the early aughts, she came to UConn as an super elite recruit, one of the best in the nation. It was expected that she would start UConn, and she did just that. As I mentioned last week, her sophomore year was the only one she spent as a regular starter alongside the kind of talent we think of when we think of uh, UConn dynasties, playing next to the four, four players who were top of the first round picks in the 2002 draft. And in that season, she shot 55% from the field and 45% from three. On ridiculous volume, almost half her shots were three. For her UConn career, almost half her shots were three. That season, she also was, I believe, second or third on the team in scoring. A team, again, loaded with Sue Bird, Shea Ralph, Swin Cash. You get the picture. So now, let's go back to 2004. At the end of her college career, she was a she was coming off a three-peat of national championships at UConn, which two of them she spent as essentially the only WNBA prospect on the team. There were other WNBA players, but none of them were stars. Really, none of them would come to even be full-time starters, as opposed to the talent she was with on the 2002 team. She all it, I do not want to say that she single-handedly led those teams, but it is fair to say that as she went, those teams went, and as much as... Candace Parker, as we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, as much as Candace Parker was the fuel of Tennessee's um, quick resurgence to back-to-back natties in the late aughts, so too was DT responsible for the 2003 and 2004 championships at UConn. If you're listening to this, you're probably familiar with her game. 
but even so, you might not be aware of what necessarily was thought of her coming out of college. Lincoln, before we get into going into the, the scout on her game, can you talk to me about how the, the general public, the consensus, the hype was around her coming into the 2004 draft? Yeah, the hype was almost immeasurable. She was viewed as basically the greatest guard prospect in the history of women's college basketball. Um, people were saying that she was going to be like the LeBron James of the WNBA, the Magic Johnson, the Larry Bird in terms of raising the Q rating, raising the like the ceiling of the league. Um, she's she was viewed like the the spark that the uh, Phoenix Mercury needed, just something that hadn't really been seen before. Um, and Gina Ariema, her coach at UConn, frequently was quoted in press conferences saying, we have Diana Taurasi and they don't, as to why they won games. Um, Nell Fortner, the um, Georgia Tech coaching legend, uh, was uh, on the record in 2004 comparing Diana Taurasi's college career to that of Cheryl Miller and Shamiqua Holdsclaw as one of the best college basketball players ever. And, like, the the hype around Diana was, like, at the highest level for a prospect that you can think of. And it's hard to say that it wasn't exactly justified. Like I said, just on the statistics alone, you have someone who's shooting north of – well north, north of 40% while taking – I think it was something close to 200 threes per season um, – while, again, you just look at those UConn teams, they revolve around her in a way that, you know, even especially in UConn, because of how they were playing in sort of Gino's early successful years there, you don't, you don't see very often, even when they just had uh, Keisha Sales and um, the other one in those uh, early seasons there, and sort of the first time that they had their national championship. It's not the kind of thing you see there, and especially you're talking about guard prospects. I think for as much as Sue Bird, and I think it's important, as we noted last week, Sue Bird sort of changed the game in at the college level, not so much at the WNBA level, but at the college level, just for what you could, what you could do as a team around a great guard, how you could feature them and how you could use them to lead a team as opposed to, you know, these two post systems. Honestly, if you just think of like most of the stuff that, Kim Mulkey was running at Baylor in the 2010s. That's essentially what most good college offenses were in the late in the late 90s and the early aughts. Frankly, even into the late aughts. And Sue, the way that Gino used Sue because of how good she was at pushing the pace, controlling the tempo, at just shooting when and finding her spots and calling her a number and knowing when to do it, it really energized what he was already doing at that time in terms of really, really sort of shifting the balance if I want to play. But with DT, it's, it is just ridiculous, I think, the, the discrepancy between how other teams are playing at that time. And again, I, I use the example just because we look at them a lot, but just how, how Tennessee is still playing in that older mo, mo, mold. And UConn, with Dinah Tarazi, anytime she is not actively running a pick and roll, she is always coming off a screen on the backside of the play. She's always setting a screen to pop off another one. She's always hitting flex actions, always hitting guts. She 
is able to move so well on the backside of the play and not just obviously, obviously Gino has always loved off ball cutting, especially by the guards and for good reason, but her ability to do so goes beyond the scheme. Her instincts for lifting and cutting around the three point line, I'm sorry, lifting and drifting along the three point line and, and hitting the basket cuts or knowing when to cut off. Uh, well, uh, for lack of a better word, cut off her cuts and, and reverse. It is, Truly incredible, her ability to impact the ball on both, uh, both with and without. Yeah, she uh, shot 39% on 5.6 three-pointers a game for her whole college career, which, which spanned from of. 2000 to 2004. That's just, that is <laughs> incredible <laughs> to have someone that's shooting that well on that much volume, especially, like, um, she was compared by the Phoenix Mercury GM at the time to someone like Serena Williams in terms of what she would bring to the game. Um, like the, the um, WNBA in 2003, the leader in three-point field goals was Katie Smith, who made around two a game. And Diana Taurasi is taking six a game in college basketball at the same time in fewer minutes. It's, it's honestly the, the way she played is – it's, it's kind of a revolution within the women's basketball game. Absolutely. For reference, um, probably the greatest, and we'll get to her in maybe a month's time, but the greatest, um, probably a couple months' time, the greatest shooting prospect since DT, I think if we go back and look at it and you can sort of see why she's playing in the W, how she was in college, is I think clearly at this point, in hindsight, Sabrina Nescu. And Sabrina Ionescu, for her time at, at Oregon, like you just said, DT shot basically 40% on north of five threes a game. Mm-hmm. Sabrina, at her time at Oregon, shot about 41.5% on just over five threes a game. Like, <laughs> she took a lot later. of threes. Yeah, she took, she was in the, uh, she was consistently in the mid 90th percentiles in terms of three point attempts per game. And that is, basically the exact same numbers DT was taking nearly two decades earlier in case you're just for reference that how far ahead of her time she is. I mean, just beyond the the usage, I mean, what sticks out is the fact that if anything, she's not taking enough shots, um, which, right. you know, we can talk about a WNBA career later. I'm sure she would love to hear that, but what she's able to do um, just in the ability to create her own shot, she has she had such a sick handle. The athleticism, you know, if you've only watched the WNBA for the past four or five years, DT looks like someone who was probably a better athlete in their prime. And it's hard to overstate her lateral quickness, her burst, her her ability to really hold midair hangs and just contort her body through traffic. It was absolutely incredible. You're not going to see many players better in any given year than her at that. But I think what is probably the best, but I, not necessarily the best, but what is probably the most historic, the, the most historic standout skill is the footwork on the jumpers. There is no one who is going to have cleaner footwork, both on their catch and shoot jumpers and on their pull up jumpers, especially from three. You can tell that there is just so much power and lift that she gets off of them. And the footwork and the form, every part of her body is exactly the same on catch and shoots on pull-ups even on the occasional movement shots she takes yeah, um, and that that and you can just tell you can have... just tell that their college threes are just way too short for her she could go yeah. five more feet without with ease yeah you, and that that footwork is what gives her like 
probably the best shot versatility of any basketball prospect up to that point. There's there's no one who's coming close to her kind of shot versatility. Yeah, uh, yeah, no doubt about it. And I think that really gets into some of the other key aspects of her game. So coming up after the break, we will talk about uh, Diana's more auxiliary offensive skills, uh, her defensive scout, and also get into our scouting grades on her. But first, we have to talk about FanDuel. Football season is about to kick off, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on. Start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. Welcome back. I'm your host, M. Adler, and thank you again for joining us. So we just talked about why Diana Taurasi is probably, I, I would say, the greatest uh, scoring guard prospect ever, but I think that's a little glib. She is the perfect scoring guard prospect. I don't really think there is much you can ask for, especially because when we see guards like this, sometimes, I, I, sh I shouldn't even say sometimes, a lot of the times, the rim pressure isn't quite there. You know, they're so good from three and they're so good at, you know, getting off their short middies, but there's not a lot of rim pressure. See, bird, sue. But with DT, again, and she's such an elite finisher, it's it's so easy there. But I think one of the things I want to talk about that that really stood out to me, and we will see this when it comes to her WNBA career in stages, but Lincoln, you had her numbers up before. Her assist numbers, I think, really jump off the page, especially in terms of what she was doing her junior and senior years, because assist numbers get inflated in systems like Tennessee's for the day, like UConn's was uh, sort of before Sue's, I want to say junior season, when it's a lot of swinging around the horn and, ent and entering to the post. Assist numbers get flattened among the guards and they get spread out. So it's hard to really tell who's a better playmaker than who just based on the numbers. But like we said, the system was designed around DT and she still averaged how many assists her uh, upperclassmen years? Uh, just over four and a half in both her junior and senior year after averaging uh, five assists per game as a sophomore. And again, she's averaging four and a half assists with the amount of finishing talent around her, which is good. It's not historic, let's say. Yeah. And I think, <clears throat> I think one of the things that really stood out to me in terms of trying to project to the W career, because what you want to see with this guard is, you know, this is an elite off guard just in basically every way and scalable impacts with and without the ball, but how much are they helping their teammates aside from just relieving uh, defensive pressure? How much are they actively doing that? And I think in, both in the numbers, and I'm sure you saw this in the scout as well, her passing, it's not point guard level, but she gets such strong velocity on her shot, on yeah. her assist. She's able to pass the ball from such a variety of angles. And she seems to be really, really good at manipulating, at finding spe specific defenders that she wants to read and manipulate and doing it when she can. And for me, that means that there's a lot of levels of projectability there, just because that means you have the underlying skills of processing, of the spatial awareness to work around them. 
And, you know, I think that that is something that you can project off of. Yeah, absolutely. She's for an elite scoring guard prospect. She's a great passer. That's, that's something that like, you don't usually have that combination of skills. Like we talked about Sue Bird last week and her like innate ability as a passer, but she's nowhere near the scoring prospect that Diana mm-hmm. was. And like, just to see that level of shooting and that level of passing to be able to break defenses down in a variety of ways uh, is incredible. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> insane to watch, especially when you're watching nine players play 2002 basketball and then Diana Taurasi, it's, it's shocking. <laughs> and the one thing I'll say before I move on to the other side of the court is obviously I mentioned, we mentioned all the things that make her elite, perfect scoring guard, two guard, whatever you want to call it. The other thing that's that, that is interesting, just like the final skill that not even you ask most guards to do, but if they can do it, wow. She's also a really good, she's a really good guard guard screener. She, and she just improvises backside screens constantly. So there is essentially literally nothing you could want her to do that she won't or doesn't on offense. On yeah, the other hand- that, um, Pat Summit sorry. noted in the in the um, run up to the 2003 national title game, talking about the different dimensions that uh, Diana brings as a, a post up player, as a, a off the dribble shooter, as an off the catch shooter as a movement shooter and off of screens and just the, the different ways that she impacts the court. Mm-hmm. If you watch any UConn tape from those games against Tennessee that year, you will see a couple times per quarter, UConn, UConn is going to run a slight um, slice Scott screen the screeners, which essentially means that Diana is probably going to bring the ball up the court. She's going to swing the ball to one of the wings. She's going to go down either into the mid paint or near the elbow. She is going to set a screen for the wing player who doesn't have the ball to go to the, to go to the opposite side of the court and start posting someone up. And then Diana is going to come off of a screen so that she will be open for three. And it really leverages her ability. It, it really ties in everything that she can do is, is just that play that they love to run for obvious reason, because she's such a good screener. She is such, she's so good coming off of screens. She is so good knowing when to pass the ball and setting up those quick pick and rolls. It's, a, yes, we, we could go on for this for days. But to avoid that, I want to ask about the other side of the court because we are at the level of prospect where that matters. Lincoln, what, what did you see out of Diana's defense? So the plus is, is size. She's a really mm-hmm. big for a guard prospect. Six feet tall. She's got long arms and um, occasionally active hands. Uh, she's not terribly fundamental uh, in any way, but she has a penchant for making plays while also being maybe Mm -hmm. the best in the history of basketball at jumping up and down in one spot to make it look (laughs) like she's doing something. (laughs) God, one of the, one of the things that really stood out to me about her defense, we, we talked about her offense and the level of athleticism she shows and what everything she does requires. It's very obvious that she is an elite athlete, especially for a guard, even for a wing, in basically every way, shape, and form. You know, if you just watch her in 2023, it's one thing, but that's not what it was two decades ago, obviously. Um, But when it comes to her defense, I have almost never seen someone 
who is so apathetic to the concept of side shuffling, to the concept of picking up their feet, even to the concept of literally bending their knees. Whenever she yeah. is defending someone, it could be in a who has the ball. It could be in a pick and roll. It could be just on a drive off the catch. Hell, it could be just just like reaching in to do some help. She is never going to like jog or run there. She's just kind of going to stand straight upright, almost with her knees locked, and just kind of bounce over. It saves energy, I'll give her that. I mean, the crazy thing is, like, sometimes when you look at her, like, occasionally, very occasionally trying on defense, like, she has really good, uh, she has really good closing speed. She's able to, you know, w- one of the things we actually see in her W career um, is she's actually really good at, these chase down blocks at these blindside plays uh, that you make out of the post uh, as sort of like a wing helper. I'm not saying she would be good at anything else defensively. I can't say that one way or the other, because frankly, she was just, I don't want to be rude, but she was just, she just couldn't give a crap to actually try, try to do any of it. The most incredible thing to me, and Lincoln, I know you have a quote on this or something. The most incredible thing to me is you're playing for Gino Oriyama, who is who at this stage in time is going berserk and screaming from the sideline the entire game? Do you un? I don't know if I can emphasize to listeners enough how good you have to be on offense <laughs> to to be demonstrably lazy as hell on defense and still not have Gino bench you for four straight years. Yeah, uh, it's 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 really funny to watch. Diana Taurasi play defense at UConn and then to see <laughs> Gino Ariema react to Diana play defense. <laughs> it's like it's it's funny, but it's really annoying too. I, I really get where Gino is coming from. Uh because she shows at times she has incredible recovery speed. <laughs> she has the length and the athleticism to be a defensive playmaker, but she just doesn't care. <laughs> she says, "I'll I'll let you get two because I'm gonna go get three on the other end." It's and it's, she it's so weird. And she wasn't even like she she wasn't like running like 35 percent usage rates, and she wasn't like she was running off a lot of screens, but she was conserving some energy on offense. Sometimes it's not like there was nothing left. <laughs> but with all that in mind, after the break, we will give our full starting grades, and we'll dive into her WNBA career. I have a note here that says, uh, spoiler alert, it was pretty successful. Pretty good. So, Lincoln, let's get into our scouting grades. But first, for those of you who are unfamiliar, we use the baseball scouting scale, which goes on a 2080 grade scale that is just aligned to a normal distribution curve. So technically a zero and a hundred are possible, but in the course of human history, there should be one player uh, who plays women's basketball who is a zero and one who isn't a hundred. So we simplify everything to 2080. A 40 grade is an average WNBA contributor and a player that contributes on an above replacement level. 45 is a top end backup. 50 is your average starter um, on any given team. 55 is an above average starter or a good starter on a title contender. 60 is a perennial all-star caliber player. 
70 is a perennial all-WNBA caliber player. And finally, 80 is reserved for players who year in, year out are MVP candidates. So now that we've got that out of the way, Lincoln, what do you got? Uh, I have her as a nice, strong 70. If she uh, played any semblance of defense, it would be an 80. <laughs> like, if, if I could break it down, it would be she's an 80 offensively and, like, a 40 defensively, but the, the offense outweighs the defense so much because she just creates good shots for herself and for her teammates every time that she touches the ball. Mm-hmm. And whether it, – it may even look like a terrible shot, but it's going in 43% of the time. Absolutely. No matter where she is on the court. It's just – she's such an awesome offensive player. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and I'm I'm pretty similar, and that's that's the that's the thing about basketball weighing individual offense and defense is if you get a bucket, you get two to three, possibly four, for the most part, two to three points for your team. It's just that's how that works. If you if you allow someone on defense, you're bad at defense. You allow someone to be in good position to get a bucket. They still have to a convert it, most importantly, but b they also have to make sure that they are not impacted by the four other players you're surrounded with like the four players matter when you're playing defense in a way that they don't when you're scoring on offense so for that reason like when we're doing this we're going to see a bunch of elite offensive players who are not good defenders and we're never going to see vice versa even next week so for that reason yep i have uh, i have dt as a as a as a as a hard seven maybe even in like a maybe in like a like a not quite a soft eight but getting there you know just there is no doubt in my mind that that you know seeing this player, this is someone who is going to be possibly the best offensive player in whatever league she plays in. This is one of the few players who you can watch and go, yeah, that, yeah, they could play in the men's league. Um, just at least given the height and the range. Yeah, the defense is going to be bad, but athletically, she should always be able to make an impact if she wants to. Um, now, uh, did she ever want to in her WNBA career, Lincoln? Did she ever want to? Eh. <laughs> Did it matter? Not really, because she like entered the league and didn't change at all. Like most of the nope. time, you'll see someone's stats drop from their senior year of college to their rookie year in the WNBA. She averaged sixteen four and four and a half as a senior at UConn, and then entered the WNBA and averaged seventeen four and a half and four, and within two years put up twenty five points a game for a whole season. It's it's ridiculous how unbothered she is by the other nine players on the court. <laughs> it like it, it doesn't matter what you put around Diana Taurasi unless it's a referee. Um, but the, <laughs> whatever other players are on the court, she's just going to go score 20 points and have five assists. It It's I, <laughs> she's the best offensive player in the history of the WNBA. And I'm not sure how close it is. At this point, if you want the craziest thing, so you said she goes for she goes basically 17 points, I think 18 her sophomore year or not sophomore year, second year in Phoenix, and then she's at 25 her mm-hmm. her uh, third year, 2006. If you want something crazy? She 16 points for a rookie is a lot. Aaliyah Boston, for reference, is around 14 right now, mm-hmm. and she's going to be one of the best rookie of the year seasons in recent history. Um, Diana, so th- that's where her scoring was. Her efficiency was fine as a rookie. You know, it wasn't great. Um, yep. 
She got a slightly below average true shooting, which is a general measure of your scoring efficiency. Um, for reference, for a guard, like especially in the mid aughts, like 43 or 53% true shooting is pretty solid. 57% is really good. That's above all-star caliber. And once you hit like 59, 60, 59%, especially in that day, we're talking about someone who is an MVP candidate. Um, so from so in 2006, her true shooting takes a huge leap. She's at 58% true shooting in 2006, her third season in the league. Through well, she Andy, went from her, her second season, season, she shot five through, and a half threes per game. Yes. And her third season, she shot nine. Through and including the current year of our Lord 2023, that is a span of, I think, 16 seasons because she got hurt in the middle of them. Uh, over that span, she has, again, her third year in the league, she hit 58%, which back then is pretty much like if you hit that, you're probably an all WNBA caliber guard. Um, she has only dipped below 58% for a full season twice since then. And one of those came while she was injured for half the season. And the other one was just a rounding error short of 58%. Like she was a little, she was fine in terms of efficiency in her first year, decent in her second. And then literally for every season since she has been all WNBA level scorer. It is, I mean, it's kind of hard to describe what she does uh, like at any <laughs> really at any point in her career just because there is everything that you could imagine is what she's doing yeah. she's hitting <laughs> she's hitting movement shots that most coaches would not think to even call up in the minutes and part of that is because of the is because of uh, paul Westhead's system which we're not going to get into today but that really unlocks a lot of the sort of volume and the scoring and really uh, takes dt's talent and makes it as good as anyone possibly could have gotten it in those days but She's just, but even before he got there, she is going for shots off the catch where, you know, the coach calls up, hey, you're going to catch the ball and then wait a beat and do a pick and roll with the, with the big. She's not waiting a beat. She's just taking the shot and it's going in because she's tired of us. <laughs> she's that good. She can, she, her finishing ability just been like ridiculous. an hour. Oh my God. Yeah, we could go through everything. Her finishing ability is ridiculous. You will never see anyone who in the, in any guards in the WNBA. I don't care how athletic they are. I don't care how good they were. You will never see anyone like her who who takes one dribble from, from the key to the elbow, picks it up, and then, you know, just gets to the rim without needing another dribble. It frankly is ridiculous what she's able to do. From her um, age 24 season to her age 36 season, uh, she averaged 20 points a game on 50% from two, 38% from three, and 88% from the free throw line, along with four assists and four rebounds, a steal and half a block. It's just it, – we could talk about how insane Diana Taurasi is <laughs> as a basketball player for probably three days. Yeah. And consecutively, just – for sure. The the thing I'll wrap up with, other than, well, I want to say, you mentioned the, the steel number in there. There was, for the for her first basically seven years in the league, she averaged a soft, she averaged like, she was one of the better stealing guards in the league. She averaged about uh, one, like 1. 1.25 steals per game in there, which is quite solid, uh, especially for someone who doesn't really do anything on defense. And it's not like I'm saying she was defending in that point, but 
the wildest thing to me is 2007 through 2009. 2009, by the way, she won an MVP award. She finished top three and top five a number of years. It's just really hard to win a to win an MVP award in the WNBA back back then, especially. Um, just be for a number of factors. Um, to be the catchings, only won one of them. <laughs> But from 2007 to 2009, that's three years, including her MVP year, she averaged 1.3 steals and 1.3 blocks. Again, when she wanted to, she could do it and like do it really well. She just never really wanted to. But the, the thing I'll close on, which is the craziest thing about her career, and I think uh, I'm going to do the, the, this bit unironically, doesn't get talked about enough, is in the middle of her career, she makes a shift. She goes from... <clears throat> Sorry about that. She she goes from, you know, for like the first kind of part of her prime, her age 24 through age 30 season. She's taking 7.3 threes a game. She has a solid assist turnover ratio, but she's, you know, shy of, uh, she's shy of four assists per game. Over the, basically the decade after that, is, is, is her nine years after that, the the three-point volume takes a bit of a hit. The, the, the field goal attempts take a big hit. Uh, she takes, uh, I think about like five fewer two-point attempts per game and she is hitting five assists a game. She is basically playing point guard. Her for her yeah, WNBA she had a six assists per game season. Over six assists. And yeah. and the assist turnover ratio is actually really good. It's like 1.75 or 1.8 to 1, which is really good for like that period of time with that consistency. You're not for someone who had the ball in her hands that often. Mhm. It's the ability to make that shift in the middle of her career while still being able to hit the shots that she needed to, you know, the efficiency wasn't there as much, but being able to do that is absolutely incredible. She essentially had two Hall of Fame worthy careers at almost two different yeah. positions. Yep. Speaking of Hall of Fame worthy careers, thank you for making Locked In Women's Basketball your first listen every day and join the team at the next back next week for continued coverage of the WNBA and women's basketball as a whole. To recap our consensus scouting grade on Diana Taurasi, the greatest offensive player in WNBA history, or at least she's had the greatest offensive career. Our consensus grade was a 70, making her one of the best prospects we've looked at so far. Next week, as I was saying about future Hall of Famers, you can join us back on Saturday for our historical retrospective scouting report on Duke legend Elena Beard, probably the best perimeter defender in WNBA history. Thank you, and have a great rest of your weekend.